0: Welcome to episode four of the Setting the Ed podcast with Justice Mosqueda and uh, my co-host Lil Boozy Flirt himself, oh. Charles McDonald. Charles McDonald, say what's up to the people. What's up to the good people? How are we? Good, how was your Christmas? Uh better than yours. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I have I'm I'm sick right now. I'm going to push through. This is my flu game, except for I'm actually sick and not hung over after a long night in Vegas. And I also have a messed up ankle. It looks like, I don't know, man. It looks like one of the, like the new Yeezys where it's got like the stripe on it. That's basically what my ankle looks like, but it's swollen like a, like a Eve uh tamale at this point. So I walked three miles on a busted ankle. I can talk on my own podcast sick. So we're going to, we're <laughs> going to push through this week. We're going to push through.
1: Yeah. Oh, well, I had a pretty good Christmas. I got Bluetooth speaker uh sweatshirt and lots of socks and some cash so we made out like uh, made out like champions
0: that's the same thing with me man so like i got i got that i think i got the same bluetooth speaker as you our parents are our parents are like hoots with each other our families are at least (laughs) i got a bunch of socks and then i got like a bunch of hoodies and like sheets for my bed and like new blankets and stuff and like that's the most perfect shit for being like a 23 year old and i'm like oh god sheets and sheets and more socks like this is perfect i don't know when that balance tips but
1: yeah, that that's all you need right now.
0: All right, so we should get into what we were right about because that's what if this podcast isn't about patting yourself on the back, I don't know what it is. Um Felipe Rivera. Felipe Rivera lost to the Browns. The Browns lost or the Browns yeah, the Browns won, so they lost, but then they won again on some viva la raza shit because oh. the San Francisco 49ers <laughs> won against the <laughs> against the LA Rams.
1: Yeah, uh and you know, Felipe Rivera, he had his classic Felipe Rivera game where it came down to the end and he had no timeouts length of the field to go uh down by three and just couldn't pull through at the end you know, this is like the most Chargers loss I've ever seen in my life they had nine sacks like they had dudes like Damian Square getting two sacks Bosa had two sacks and they just could not get it done I, I think that's gotta be the most sacks by a team in the loss
0: yeah it was, it was pretty disgusting and the thing is like did you see the screen cap of Mike McCoy like smiling when they when the field goal happened? No, I didn't see that. <laughs> yeah, there there's a picture of him and he was like smiling. It was like, Bro, is he like rigging these games? Like what the hell is going on? Nah, Them just... being like six point favorites on the road was the easiest the easiest bet on earth.
1: Oh yeah. I, I think he was smiling because he knows he's free. He's like it's <laughs> over for him and not
0: San Diego. There there's yeah, there there's something to say about closure, man. There's something to say about closure. We were also right about New Orleans beating the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Yes, we, we said are. that, I think, episode one, where we were we like, look, they're going to play – yeah, we were like, they're going to play three to- or twice in the next three weeks. There's no way they're winning both of those because we talked about how that exact same thing happened with Atlanta and Carolina, and that's how Atlanta was able to upset Carolina in the regular season last year. Yep. <laughs> All right. Um, we should give a shout-out to at uh, T-O-T-S-M. On Twitter, because we weren't able to find the Kirk Street bowl game stats. But he was. Shouts to Dominic Cobb. uh, He came in and told us that in the 1993 Citrus Bowl, Kirk Herbstreet, who had the hot takes of all hot takes about wanting to be there for bowl games, for his teammates, all that, that Leonard Fournette and Christian McCaffrey shouldn't be skipping. um, He was 8 of 23 for 111 yards, an interception, a fumble, and four sacks. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Not good. Uh, shouts to the feedback from people. Uh, we have people correcting us, giving us stats like that. We had a person tell us that when we were giving off Domino's uh, takes, he was actually delivering Domino's. So let's keep building this fan base up. You guys, we, we're on iTunes now. Go subscribe to us on iTunes. Uh, peer pressure your friends to uh, <laughs> following us because peer pressure works and peer pressure is undefeated. Don't this listen is. to what anyone else tells you. Uh, I have a question. Uh, get on Twitter right now. Okay. Are you on Twitter? I'm on okay. Twitter. Do you, do you follow Todd McShay? Uh, no. I used to, but okay. I I want everyone to run a little test because I think Todd McShay, like, soft blocks me every single time I try to follow him. I don't. I can't prove this other than I try to follow him, and then the next day I'm not following him anymore. And the only way that I know about this is, like, the only way that that can happen is if he's, like, soft blocking me or something. Uh,
1: I mean, he has good grounds, too. You're just – the worst human
0: being alive yeah i, I think he, <laughs> i think he just like soft blocks like he has like a machine that just like soft blocks everyone on on draft twitter
1: <laughs> i mean he he needs to for the from uh for some of those uh watson takes he's firing off in the first draft podcast <laughs>
0: he, he just needs to mature mature you know don terry poe you know he's got the size that you want kind of mobile uh hard to bring down <laughs> maturity issues though Don terry poe maturity issues <laughs>
1: Dude, that touchdown pass was like
0: the greatest thing I've ever seen. When
1: I was uh, grading this week for uh, NFL 1000, I was so tempted to just give him 25 for every score and a 15 for tackling. So he'd be uh, the highest graded defensive tackle in the history of <laughs> NFL 1000 with a 97 out of 100. But unfortunately, they don't have a throwing as one of the categories for grading for defensive tackles.
0: When I saw that, I knew just Sully's timeline was going to explode. Oh, my God. I think the the world revolved around Sully for like 15 minutes. Yeah. Shouts yeah, to Sully was... Football. Sully Football, the I Hate Sully podcast. Podcast. Shouts to him, friend of the podcast.
1: Yeah, so uh, we let's move on to our, our, uh, our liar of the week, which we just kind of just, yeah. just stumbled upon. We literally
0: just found him. You just found him. I shouldn't take credit for this. Yeah,
1: please, please don't. Uh, so Hugh Freeze, the uh, head coach of Ole Miss University, head football coach, uh, a recruit talked to Hugh Freeze, and uh, Hugh Freeze thinks that, the NCAA probe that's going on with uh, with Old Miss's football program, re- revolving around how they were able to pull in Laramie Tunsil, Laquan Treadwell, Robert Kindici in one class because Old Misses doesn't do that. Uh, so the NCAA pretty much thinks these guys are getting paid. But a re- Hugh Freeze told a recruit that uh, he thinks that NCAA is persecuting him because of his <laughs> because of his religious beliefs. Uh, so to quote uh, the article from SEC Country. Well, Coach Fries told me when you're that big out there with faith in Jesus Christ, he's like, what do you expect? Jesus got nailed on to the cross, Calloway said, according to SB Nation's Morgan uh, Moriarty. So he was just telling me some things like that happened, but that's never going to change how
0: he's going to treat his players and take care of them. Dude, what are you talking about? <laughs> like, Dog, he knows that there's like actual like Christian universities, right? Like I think Ole Miss, Ole Miss for like, I don't know, for like Christian values, that's pretty low, low down the, uh, the ranking. Right. And we're talking about
1: Mississippi. Like, no one in Mississippi is crucifying Hugh Freeze for being a Christian. Like that's, that's like peak southern, you know, right outside the yeah. Bible Belt where we're just –
0: I mean it, 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 it runs everything down there. Yeah, that's that's pretty, I, man. Coaches are such liars. Like I can't I can't imagine like half of this stuff. I mean I remember um like Urban Meyer like couldn't even remember like who a kid was. Like he walked into the office and he like didn't even recognize his face. And he yeah. was like committed to Ohio State. Um I can't I just can't that like recruiting is super sleazy man. Like that's yeah, yeah. that's one thing that I can't I can't ever follow even like when I was younger right like when the kids were like my age. Like I remember following like Terrell Pryor. Like, him being, like, the number one prospect. But, like, other than that, like, I can't really get into recruiting because it just seems so damn grimy.
1: Oh, yeah, it's grimy as hell. I can't wait for uh, after Saban retires and we find out about all the shit he was doing while he was at Alabama because there's no way that's 100% clean.
2: Well,
0: they're saying that, like, I mean, I, I caught th- I caught a whiff of this just because I'm on, like, Twitter and stuff like that. Damn, did you just, like, get hit by a lightning bolt? What the hell was that? What? What are you talking about? I don't about? know. There was something very loud and staticky. No i don't know that's all good um so uh alabama just got like a junior college i believe defensive lineman might have been an offensive lineman he was posing next to like a a dodge i think it was a charger or something like that and they had like a someone posted like a lineup basically of like derrick henry like every basically every alabama player just posing with like a brand new dodge um i don't really i don't care honestly I'm, I'm like the thing about recruiting that worries me the more is like the people who are wild annoying and like at kids and like fucking torment them basically like i i think uh this week they interviewed a bunch of like pros- uh i guess you call them recruits uh, a bunch of recruits and they were asking them who the most like annoying fan base is and uh i think uh tennessee won and there were people in whoever tweeted it out uh, as mentions and they were like i guess they don't like nine players don't want to be like uh champions for life or something like that they don't want to be champions for life and then one person was like if you're not cheating like if you're not tweeting you're not trying and then like it was just it was just crazy was, and then another person was in there it was like fake news like release the name of <laughs> release the names of these kids and i was like dude man people who focus on recruiting i understand that that matters but like let these damn high school kids live
1: yeah it's just not a big deal i, I remember, don't have kids uh, i remember there was this video uh i'll i'll, po- I'll post it to twitter when i uh When we upload the podcast, but it's a video of Julio Jones at Alabama driving a purple Escalade with gold rims. I'm like, oh, you can't can't just be out there like that. Like, what 19-year-old can afford stuff like that,
0: you know? (laughs) Well, I think uh, we talked about this before, but Leonard Floyd pulled off in, like, a new car at UGA, right? When Marguerite got fired, he was like, y'all have fun. I'm out. (laughs) I got to tell the Drew Bledsoe story. Okay. All right. So, uh, I got some hype on Twitter talking about this Drew Bledsoe story. Um, so basically y'all know who drew blood was first overall pick at Washington state or from Washington state. Uh, he's from the Pacific Northwest. He lives in Oregon now because the Pacific Northwest is a trap and you can never actually leave. Um, so he's coaching at a school called summit. His, his, uh, son's play there. His, uh, his, a, his, uh, older son is the starter on the varsity team. His younger son is like the backup on the varsity team but is the starter on the JV team somehow. Like, he basically plays on JV. He's got his name on the back of the jersey, which only, like, varsity players had, right? Um, But he was doing it to, like, get reps. Uh, Bledsoe is the offensive coordinator on both teams, ended up calling it. As I I think I told you guys, I coached up uh, JV football and varsity football this past year. So he went down to Bend. And uh, so Bledsoe's quarterback drops back to pass, and he throws it, and one of our kids – uh, basically he he saw, he read that it was gonna be a curl, right? right? So he goes in and breaks on the curl, takes an interception and takes it to the house, right? Very next play, Bledsoe's kid drops back to pass and they run they run a stop and go, right? Oh, so he goes – it looks like a curl. He goes up and he's like flying, man. He thinks he's gonna get it again and just bombs it. Meanwhile, this 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 uh this cornerback is maybe five two. Like he played corner because he literally couldn't play anything else, right? right. Right, And Bledsoe comes, comes up to him after the game and just goes, hey, kid, man, like hell of a play. But like we had to get you like we had to get you after that one. I'm sorry. And just like the wild, like cockiest thing. Like, I can't believe how competitive these guys are. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like that like that years after your playing career, you just go at a 5-2 JV cornerback and then like come up to him after the game and like let him know, like you got lucky on that one. <laughs> like that's that's just insane to me, man. <laughs>
1: Yeah, some yeah. I mean, to make it that far in professional football, you got to be a little bit.
0: You gotta have something wrong with you, yeah. like something in your brain doesn't have to tick right.
1: Yeah, like uh, Bill Parcells used to say, uh, "Football is not for the well-adjusted." That's a that's a pretty example of it right there.
0: Yeah. All right, so we should get to uh, we should get to these games.
1: Yeah. So uh, week seventeen, we are almost here.
0: Yeah, last game, last game of our last week of. Uh, full slate last week a full slate of nfl 1000 i'm kind of happy about that honestly i'm extremely happy about that i think we should tell the people uh after week 17 or i guess starting with the week after week 17 i think we're gonna move the podcast to mondays because we don't have as much work to do exactly
1: yep so after uh the uh wild card round we will record uh sunday night and we'll have that posted for uh monday morning
0: yes sir all right so first game uh we should start with your team uh, the Atlanta Falcons against New Orleans Saints. This game is in Atlanta, right? Yep. Uh, they are the Falcons are six and a half to seven point favorites. How do you feel about this? So this game is significant because if Atlanta wins it, then they get uh, then they get the two seed in the NFC.
1: Yep, they uh, clinch a two seed with the win, and you know the the six point five that feels kind of high. Maybe it's just because like these uh Saints Falcons games are always blow or not blasts, but like shootouts where. Neither team can really play defense against each other. It comes down to like the last, the last drive almost every single time. And earlier this year, Atlanta kind of blew them. Uh, Atlanta kind of blew them out, but uh, they didn't have Sheldon Rankins. They didn't have Willie Snead on offense. Uh, Michael Thomas still was trying to figure out how to be an NFL receiver. And uh, uh, yeah, that's it. So like it, the variables are different this time. I think it's a much better Saints team than uh, it was in week three. So I think it's going to be really interesting to see if, you know, the addition of Willie Sneed and the addition of Rankins and, you know, Michael Thomas kind of having this breakout rookie season kind of tips things in their favor uh, on Sunday. So I, I think that six and a half feels pretty high. I, I mean, whatever the over is, I would bet that because this is going to be a heat, just a classic shootout between uh, these two teams.
0: Yeah, and the one thing too is for the most part my whole take on shootouts is go with the underdog. Like that that's really the easiest thing. As long as, long as it's over like 3, right? Like the key number being like 3. Um, and you can find this line still at at 7 points. Um, I'm trying to look up the over/under right now. It looks like it's around 56 and a half. So that's assuming take that out. That's assuming like the that's assuming like a 32-25 game, something around that range. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, that, that makes sense to me. The only thing is, I I think I kind of side with you. If you seven, like seven, seven is such an important number. Um, just, I mean, just because it, it's a, it's a, it's a number that a lot of games land on, right. It's what you would call a key number. Um, if you can get, if you can get new Orleans at seven, I think that's really like a safe bet just because like we said, shootouts, man, go with the underdogs in the shootout. It's really that easy.
1: Yeah. And, uh, we've been referencing like, uh, DVOA a lot on this podcast, so, just for uh, just looking at the offensive and defensive rankings for Atlanta and uh, New Orleans, Atlanta has the uh, first ranked offense for DVOA by a pretty wide margin, and the 27th ranked defense. New Orleans has the uh, fifth ranked offense and the 29th ranked defense. So, I mean, neither neither of these teams have really been able to stop anybody except you know Atlanta like the last three weeks when they're playing against a beat up Carolina team, the Saints or the uh, the rams and the 49ers so drew Brees coming back with all his weapons healthy uh yeah this is going to be a tie one uh take take the plus seven if you can find it
0: yeah um i think we should go next game yeah because green bay detroit's a sunday night so we'll go washington new york um washington is a seven and a half to nine point favorite uh, when we saw that line at first, we were like, what the hell is going on here? But then we realized that New York uh, clinched the five seed, so they don't even necessarily have to play their guys full time. Um, so that kind of makes this an odd one.
1: Yeah. I, I, well, I, the thing is, we don't really know what New York is going to do, do we yet? Because, uh, I, I mean, I haven't seen anything saying that they're going to rest their guys or anything, but –
0: yeah, because the thing is like some teams are you, – you're hearing some some uh, news about this coming out for certain franchises. So like Dallas is like, yo, we're going to activate Mark Sanchez because we don't want Tony Romo to have to play as QB2 in this game yeah. and stuff like that. But I don't think we've really heard anything from the Giants, which is kind of weird because Washington needs this game. Um, according to 538, if they lose this game, there's no way that they can make it in, and if they win it – then there's like over 99% chance. Basically it has to be, uh, that like weird, uh, Tampa Bay tiebreaker, I believe yeah. is the only way that they can't get into the playoffs if they, they end up winning.
1: Yeah. And, and the only way Tampa Bay can get in is if, uh, the giants and Washington tie. So
0: yeah, it's just like the 15 things have to happen for Tampa. Ta- Tampa's technically, uh, still alive in the playoffs, but like they, they're, they have to have 15 things happen. And like Doug Martin just went to rehab. So
1: yeah. Uh, so the thing with that line, even with, uh, l- let's say, the New York Giants rest Eli Manning, are, are we sure Washington is actually a good football team?
0: Well, here's the thing, too. So if, if the Giants were healthy, right? If the Giants were healthy going up against the Washington Redskins, um, what would you make this line? Because I, I believe it's in it's in Washington, but I don't think that, like most people would still have Washington as the favorite. Like, there's still a very large split between what Kirk Cousins has been able to do, um, even in QB wins, uh, relative to teams above and over uh, 500. Like, that, that split's fairly large. Yeah, and it is in Washington. So, like, would they even be favorites? I don't know. I, I think you could make a like, I would make it like a pick em, right? Yeah, I think it would be closer to a pick'em or like the Giants being a short, short uh, road favorite, something like that, than Washington being up by that much. And when you have conversations about gambling, right, is the best of the best players are worth like a six point swing, right? right. So like a Ben Roethlisberger when Ben Roethlisberger's out, compared to like Landry Jones, is worth like a six point swing. But this line's at nine. You can find this line at nine, and the difference between a pick'em or even like the Giants being a short road favorite, one or two points to nine points. That's huge, and it's not like it's not like, like New York is going to have their entire B team in. You know what I mean? You can only have what is it like seven guys who are inactive each week, so it's not like they can rest every every starter.
1: Right. Yeah, I, this line just seems kind of fishy. I, I would take the uh, I would take the
0: Giants. Agree. I'm taking the Giants backups. Uh, where I Ryan Nassib, right? We're going to see. Yeah, might be we're going to see the rise of of. Uh, Quarterback prospect number one, Ryan Nassib. I think, who was it? Uh, Russ Landy, I want to say. Russ Landy, who said that there's no doubt in his mind that the Atlanta Falcons are going to draft Shane Ray so, on draft week.
1: And the funny thing about that tweet was he said they were going to draft Shane Ray seventh overall when the Falcons had the eighth
0: pick. So he's definitely very <laughs> And that was after Shane Ray had gotten arrested. Yeah. So that, that was after like he, were, he had all the information already. Um, I believe Russ Landy, he either had Ryan Nassib as the first or second overall pick in the 2013 draft, and he thought Bjorn Warner was like a top five guy. So, just to him. Uh, Maybe he works in the CFL for a reason. I don't know. Oh, God. (laughs) Um, The next game, Detroit and Green Bay. Green Bay, as a road team, is three to three and a half point favorites against Detroit. This game decides the NFC North title. Um, And if – I mean, basically, if Washington wins, right – uh, this is going to decide, uh, who gets in the playoffs period.
1: Uh, yeah, that's right. So, I mean, I just, I, I, I honestly just think that green Bay is just going to shred them, you know, uh, have you seen Aaron Rodgers lately?
0: Run the table, run the table, run the table. Yeah. Um, oh wait, no, I'm going to try to reverse jinx this. I, I don't know about that. Cause I think, okay. who is it? Darius, Darius Slay is coming back this week. Yeah. Um, the Packers, uh, Ty Montgomery can't pass block for for a damn. So if Detroit can kind of get after him, uh, uh, Ezekiel Ansah is finally like starting to turn it around in Detroit. He has been certified not good uh, for a majority of the season. Um, I don't know. I mean, Detroit got torched last week, right? Yeah, yeah. I don't know, man. I don't know. Green Bay's corners are horrible. Like this could this could easily be one of those shootout games too. Like that that would not surprise me at all. Yeah, but I I just think
1: Denver or not Denver, Detroit's defense is so bad, you know. Like we just saw Ezekiel and Dak Prescott just walk up and down the field like with no resistance. And yeah. you, you know, Aaron Rodgers and now you have Ty Montgomery kind of being a force out of the backfield, I think they could do the same exact thing. So you're you really you're really gonna be asking, you know, Stafford and Co. to keep to play keep up with Aaron Rodgers and I just I just don't really see how that's how that's gonna be possible.
0: Yeah, I think um, who was I think Derek Clawson brought up a stat to us this week in the group chat, and he was like, uh, Detroit's allowing like 72 completion percentage for like opponents for the entire season.
1: Yeah, like so that. That's 73 percent.
0: Uh, yeah, that's insane. That's insane. Yeah,
1: I mean, and their defense is ranked uh, ranked 32nd on DVOA, and if like if you look at the numbers, it doesn't look like that. Like if you just look at uh, yards per play, but I think we kind of saw on Monday how like inefficient and bad that defense actually is
0: yeah it's not good because even their stars from a couple years ago right it's like slay's kind of been banged up um ansa was banged up to start the year and he hasn't been himself since so it's like They've i mean gotten, you could probably make you okay. can make the argument that like carrie Hyder was like they're probably like Kerry Hyder and like deandre levy were like their best players on the defensive side of the ball
1: yeah and, like on the inside haloti nada is really just washed up and he's just not what he used to be uh their second-round pick, A.J.ron Robinson, has been really, really bad this year. And uh,
0: yeah. who could have seen that coming? Ooh, who could have him? seen an, an unathletic defensive lineman not performing at the NFL level after playing for a run-first defense in college football? I mean, man, that's that's shocking.
1: Yeah, man, you got to go back and watch. Uh, like, just watch what like Travis Frederick and Zach Martin were doing to that dude. It, I mean, it, it's he, he, he's, just, he's just not very good right now. So uh, whatever the, whatever Green Bay's favorite by, I like them. I I think they're going to blow them out. Three
0: three three and a half. I think three is a fine. Three is a fine number. I wouldn't go as far as to say three and a half because they're they're a road team. I mean that'd be basically saying Green Bay's a a ten point favorite at home against Detroit in what is basically an elimination game against a rival. Um, I'm cool with three. Three and a half is a bit much for me. All right, I would take either one. All right, so. uh what should we do? Are we throw it to? M? Should we get Em on the phone?
1: Yeah, let's uh let's call up Emory. So next up, we have a good friend of Justice's, uh Emory Hunt. He has his own uh, website, footballgameplan.com, where you know he he probably does the most like in depth work that you find. In he works to the harder than everyone. Yeah, pretty much he works harder than everybody. So you know if you if you need takes on D one, D two, HBCU guys, uh one double A guys, Canadian football, NFL like Emery's got you covered and uh, he's been a great resource for I Know Me and probably Justice too so we're going to have a short little uh, question and answer with Emery in a few minutes and uh, we'll be right back with you
0: guys Come on folks everybody sing Now when the Saints when the go, marching in.
1: go marching in Now when the Saints go marching in and now we're joined by Football Game Plan's Emery Hunt. Uh, Emory, the czar of the playbook, uh, does really, really good work at Football Game Plan. He's uh, one of the most knowledgeable, hardworking people that we know uh, in the football media industry so uh how you doing emory
2: i'm doing fine man i appreciate you guys having me on it's good to to talk with you guys i I feel like we normally get to talk um at one of these all-star games or something like that
1: yeah uh so we'll we'll definitely see you again in person in mobile but it's a good chance to you know kind of talk and answer some questions that we got on twitter uh you know concerning all types of things running backs uh less known prospects so let's just dive right in Um, The first question we have from Jackson Safon uh, that we actually met uh, down in Mobile earlier this year. Uh, Who do you guys think is better uh, as an overall running back, Le'Veon Bell or David Johnson?
2: Wow. Um, You know what? I would say Le'Veon Bell because, to me, Bell has more natural run instincts. And Johnson is a dynamic athlete. You know, he can catch football, obviously. He's explosive. He doesn't have those natural run instincts where he can feel uh, opening holes and and feel his way through traffic. A lot of times, if you beat him to the spot, he's dead in the water. So, uh, but if he gets a lane, he's gonna burst through it and outrun outrun you. But I just think Le'Veon Bell is is more of a running back and not a guy that can play multiple positions like do at Northern Iowa. I, so I would say Bell is a, the more complete overall better back.
0: Yeah, that's what I was going to say, too, is like Bell, his instincts and his patience like he has his patience is incredible.
2: Yeah, it's
1: weird. You'll see Le'Veon like come to a complete stop and he'll just wait and wait and wait for things to come open. And then he'll just explode. And usually don't like you don't see guys literally stand still on a football field for like a full second before they explode back somewhere else, especially like in the thick of the front seven, the offensive line. I, I mean, every single week, he just makes plays to just blow you away.
2: And when you look at a guy like David Johnson making cuts, a lot of times it's just, it seems like it's predetermined. Like, OK, I'm going to make a cut here. And then both his feet leave the ground. and He hops to the left, or hops to the right. And, and everybody goes crazy. But I'm like, you know, that's, that's, that's not a good look. Plus, that's not natural. You can't predetermine, uh, oh, I'm going to make a move. When I get through the line, like, no, you have that stuff you just have to feel. And I feel, and I think that's where Le'Veon Bell is just a, a much smoother runner than Johnson. And of course, Johnson's gonna rip off long runs. He has tremendous speed, something Bell doesn't have. But if we're just talking about pure running back play. Bell by, by far is the better back.
1: Yeah, and uh, last week versus Seattle, you know, David Johnson made that amazing catch uh, on the sideline. I think it was against Cam Chancellor. Uh, to put Arizona in position to take that field goal for the lead. And, you know, I, I think they're both special players and you, you just, you just really don't see a lot of guys who can go one-on-one against a strong safety, like a running back. And especially when the caliber came chancellor and make that back shoulder catch right along the sideline, like that was special. But I think just as a, as a runner, I would, I would probably lean Le'Veon Bell too. All right. From, uh, from our good friend D Lee at, DL blacks on Twitter for Emory as someone who is hoping to build up his own platform. What was it like for you?
2: Man, that's a great question, dude, because, you know, we started football game plan in 07 and it was just a website. And our whole goal was, you know, we're, we were just tired of seeing slanted coverage. And when we were talking about slanted coverage. You know, if you just watch the major networks, it'll, it would lead you to believe that there's only eight NFL teams and about a good ten college football teams, <laughs> you know. So, yeah. it, it was just tough. To, it was just tough to watch and constantly. And also, don't even talk about the draft coverage, which still bothers me and the rest of us to this day. Uh, so, back in those 0- '06, we we was trying to figure out how we can, you know, get our voice out there. So 07, we started the website, um, and just slowly started to, to say what we thought. Uh, people want to hear which were which was facts and we covered everybody equally so we were covering nfl canadian arena college football from d1 to juco um some high school football we were doing so we were just covering the whole gambit and people started to say hey well these guys are, are writing previews for you know murray state versus jacksonville state as in depth as in alabama miami uh Preview, and so that was that was our whole thing. We're going to cover everything equally, and what got us really noticed in that first year was we were the first outlet, probably the only outlet, uh, to predict App State beat Michigan, and so. Oh, wow! We, yeah, we wrote we wrote down a whole detailed uh, breakdown of why it was going to happen and how it was going to happen, and it played out perfectly um, up until the blocked field goal. You know, we didn't say it was going to be a blocked field goal, but it, it played out the why. Uh, perfectly and so that kind of got us going and you know 2008 we just kind of had like this we, we kind of got fat and kind of like sat on our laurels and and nothing really grew and then 2009 we were just like you know what we're trying to get ahead of the, the curve and that's when youtube just came out and my background is in broadcasting as far as college four, and so i know cameras cameras and, and sound and lights and stuff like this who's so like you know what let's, let's start doing um, video instead of doing written reports because it's easier to get out what you want to say and, and get it out quicker on YouTube as opposed to just writing these long articles, editing editing them and then finding photos and then posting on the website and then having to take all that down to put up put out next week's stuff. We can just let these videos just sit there and, and marinate. Um, so we went that direction in 09, which was great because nobody was doing that. Then in 2011 we started doing podcasts. We did a weekly show a weekly Saturday show, which was excellent, you know, having a bunch of guests and a bunch of call-ins. It was live, um, and so little by little, we've grown significantly every year. I want to say 2012 was the first time we started going to live games to scout and uh, you know see teams play live, and that just kind of like snowballed into snowballed uphill, so to speak, as far as uh, the growth is concerned. And now you are starting to see us doing, you know, I'm doing color commentary. Um, you know, Gene is out there coaching, and and Chris is doing his thing on the back end, along with Cornell Hunter, who's doing a lot of our back end high school scouting. That's given us a leg up on some of these guys coming into the college ring. So, to answer his question, it's just been a slow progress. Every year, you got to find something new you want to get better at, and every year you got to find something new you're going to tweak and be willing to change certain things. I know now we don't cover as much of what we used to cover. Let's say we don't cover as much arena. As we did in the in the beginning, probably because Arena is trying to figure out what they want to do with themselves. Yeah, Uh, you know, so we're probably more focused on college, NFL scouting, and also do like some CFL stuff like that. And because with my broadcast schedule, I'm constantly somewhere every week, so it takes away a little bit of me getting out there doing those uh those whiteboard videos that that were popular with our NFL previews and stuff like that. So we'll you'll see our video stuff. Start to grow even more uh, this off season with some cool things we have coming out for the draft uh, draft guide not draft guide but you know our video scouting reports and stuff like that. So, um, but every year just try to find something new, find something different, and be willing to self scout and try to get better in the area where you eat.
0: So I have a question for you, Emery. So <clears throat> if you're doing, I, I guess I wouldn't say spreading yourself so thin, but if you're going to be working at things on th- that many levels, right? You can't really regurgitate takes or anything like that, right? You can't have your cliche, uh, like what they have on like, like CBS's pregame show, right, where people just talk about, you know, they're like, Terry Bradshaw will just come up and just say like what blasphemous things, like Tom, Tom or uh, Mike Tomlin is a cheerleader and the Packers should keep uh, Mike, Mike McCarthy instead of Aaron Rodgers, right? Um, you actually have to if you're going to be going from the JUCO level to college football to high school football, to the NFL, you actually really have to know the game inside and out, right? And you play college ball, right, at, at Louisiana?
2: Right. And, and, and I played at Louisiana Lafayette. Um, and I coached high school ball after college, too. And you're right. You have to know the ins and outs. And, and that's the, And you also get a greater appreciation for the work that the coaches put in. Um, so you don't really see us bashing coaches. You don't see us bashing programs like a lot of these guys do. Or even bashing players, you, you know. Uh, publicly <laughs> you know you don't see us doing stuff like that uh because we know the work that is that that goes into it and and, and also it's just not a good look sometimes you know some things you could be critical on but you have to know the, that that's why it's interesting when you see a pre-game show and they bring somebody on um and they'll say like they'll jump right into cliches like oh yeah you know uh Oh, I think Team A will win because they're playing at home. And, I mean, you got to play hard at home, and then you got to defend your home turf. When I know that that shit doesn't matter whether you play. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it doesn't matter where you play. Um, that's something that that's an easy cliche they could throw out there to sound knowledgeable. You could talk around that cliche. But was, and, but when you show depth in what you know, then you leave people with a cake mouth. Um, I remember who we were doing uh, – I had to jump on a radio show earlier in the year because I also do um, – a uh, weekly uh, like I guess as you call it a show, but also weekly picks for CBS sports line uh, from a, a against the spread perspective. and I don't bet, but they wanted they, 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 this how it, this how it happens about doing different things. Well, people saw I did a lot of small college stuff they wanted to do they wanted to add that to their outlet, so they brought me on to say like hey, once you do like a weekly small college game in a week or whatever, but it just grew to the hey cover NFL and college and stuff as well. So, I was on this radio show, and it was like, I think it was week one, in Temple Temple played Army. And it was like, oh, Temple is favored by 16 and a half points. Um, what's your take on this? So I was like, well, Army is going to um, not—Temple won't blow out Army. It was like, how can you say that? Temple has this. I was like, listen, first of all, no option team is going to get blown out, number one. Number two, Army's defense was real good last year. They just had a lot of injuries. Now you have— a bunch of seniors so defensively they're going to be uh probably one of the best in the country and with the option i don't care if this is the best time to play the option team week one but you still can't prepare for the option and it was like you know guys going back and forth oh i don't know you know if you look at this team playing at home on the road army goes out there and beat the beats the breaks off temple week one and so the following week there's like oh well yeah. Once you come back on and so now <laughs> I,
0: <laughs> Wonder <how> that works.
2: <laughs> yeah. You know, out there and say, yeah. You're right. You know, Temple uh, with this, you know, they're playing army. Army was terrible last year. But when you do all this research and stuff for your own for, you know, for football game plan, you tend to watch and see things a little bit ahead of time before everyone else does. And you're able to explain more, which gives them what they ultimately want their viewer or the listener wants that depth and wants to know why are they bringing you on well here's why and now you can't get rid of me you know
0: yeah yeah I, I i'd say like so if you were trying to show someone like point them in the direction of where you could learn the game more other than just pure effort where would you go cuz i think i think everyone kind of gets that question a lot um in the media if you like if you show people like what you know like i wrote a piece about um tackle reads uh, opposed to like ball reads last year when evaluating like pass rushers and things like that because people legitimately didn't know they didn't know what they were looking at you know what i mean yeah, um right. there's a lot of people in media and things like that i don't i don't necessarily care if you did or did not play right but if you do or do not understand what you're watching um and playing does give you that advantage uh like that that's a pretty big deal so like if you don't know what you're watching that kind of hurts you and it's like Especially like scouting, right? Like scouting is a visual medium. There's nothing that you can read that will help you with that. You know what I mean? So I guess where would you point someone to go to? I mean the thing I always tell people is I always always tell them to go to uh, Matt Wallman's YouTube videos because he does a pretty good job of having an hour-long conversation about a prospect with someone who actually knows what they're talking about, right? I think you've you've been a part of that too, right, Emery?
2: Right. I've done a few of those.
0: Yeah. And then the other thing I'd say is I always tell them either – you know, help out, help out coaching or, uh, go to coaching clinics. Cause I think that's the, that's the place that you, cause coaches, basically in coaching clinics, right. Is you have a, an hour tops, right. To explain a concept to someone. So everything has to be, everything has to be small and concise and dense. You know what I mean? Like you have to be able to get an idea away quickly and that's how you can get away, get, get it through readers and stuff like that.
2: No, but I, you know what, you make a great point. I tend to tell people to do all of that because that's how you learn, and that's how you grow, and uh, you ha- you can't be arrogant in accepting information or acknowledging the fact that you don't know everything, you know, and, and that's where I think a lot of, you know, media people, a lot of people that say want to do th- this draft scouting stuff, even some coaches, you tend to, you know, I talk to a lot of coaches, and you get a sense of, oh, this guy's one of these, uh, wants to be the smartest guy in the room type cats, you know, and you can't you can't grow like that because you'll go out there and get blown out on a Saturday or a Friday, you know. And so it, it, you can't be an arrogant person or you got to be always willing to seek out information. And even that, like, for, for instance, um, I was uh, and this is how I was able to, to right or wrong. Um, I remember when we was the, it was a draft year where uh, Don Terry Poe came out and I was I made all kind of jokes it's like, oh, this guy is terrible um he just he's a workout warrior there's no way possible this dude's gonna be good watching his memphis tape he didn't make a play yada 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 right and so he gets to the league and after his rookie year he was average then that second year he blew up and became an all pro and now he's been a very good starter for kansas city and i did not see this happening and I i was like you know what why did i miss so badly on don terry pope what did he show on film but then i i realized like you know what i was looking at him through the wrong lens and that understanding allowed me to then hit on let's say malik collins um because a lot of people like why would they pick take malik collins he didn't make a play to but what i saw was hey this guy got great ball get off he's in the backfield um and you can't teach effort you can't teach those three things that he has But what you can teach is technique. And so him being paired with Dallas, with the best D-line coach in the NFL, and Rod Marinelli, makes a ton of sense because you have this athleticism and all these skills, but you're going to now pair him with a guy that that is probably one of the only NFL uh, position coaches that actually teaches technique. There's not a lot of technique being taught in the NFL um, because they don't have the time. And Because everybody's so scheme-based in the NFL. And so now you have like the perfect combination, and that's why it works for Collins as a rookie. And that's why it worked for Don Terry Poe in Kansas City. I was like, okay, so let me evaluate from a total perspective and not try to look in through just one lens of what I already – if a guy's going to pop, he's going to pop. Like, I get that part, but you also have to look at, okay, why is everybody talking about this guy? Let me take a look at him and in-depth look and see where – can he fit or what can he do? But I wouldn't have done that if I was, you know, an arrogant person as far as, uh, thinking I already know everything or, or I just missed that or it's an, it's an inexact science. Like, no, it was a reason why you missed on that player. So just go and seek out information, talking to coaches, going to, um, coaching clinics, just go and watch a practice, whether it's a high school practice, a college practice, you know, sometimes you may just want to sit down in the choir room and just draw up plays and play offensive coordinator or defensive coordinator with yourself. You know, if you're going to draw up a play, how would you stop this play and then work your, work it that way and you're teaching yourself. And I think – and just watching film. A lot of people may look at football, but they don't watch football. I think that's where all of that starts. you got to really be a student of the game. A lot of people say they want to be students of the game or say they are students of the game, but they're really not.
1: Yeah, I remember uh, – so this year was my first year coaching, and uh, I, I was just kind of asking – like this public high school, like, uh, down the street where I live. And the uh, head coach there, he used to coach the uh, pass rushers for the Ravens back in – like, he got there the year after they won the Super Bowl, and he was there for, uh, you know, two or three years when Suggs was just starting uh, with his career. And I remember I had a meeting with him uh, in February. We were just kind of talking about, like, what it would be like coaching defensive line. And he was was like, all right, so if you were going to tell a kid, like, how to get a three-point stance – Show me. Tell me how. So we did that, and uh, he was like, if you're going to tell a kid how to take a slant step, how would you do that? And we went over that, and by the end of the day, I was I had literally, like, I think seven pages of notes that I I written down. I was like, oh, my God, I don't know a damn thing about football. You know, like, like when, you, when, when you when you end up talking to somebody who, like, really knows what they're talking about and has made it to a really high level, in either playing or coaching, you just kind of realize, wow, you, you know, there's always more... That you can learn and i remember i after i had that meeting i came home and i just wrote that Kandichi piece like immediately i was like oh my god like i have to get all this stuff like down on paper this is like the, the coolest thing i've ever learned in my life and uh I, like I, I think coaching for a season uh really showed that you know there's a lot to learn about football you know
2: oh hell yeah even just from a i mean a positional standpoint. I believe Justice played offensive line. Charles, you played D line. I played running back. Um, when I my first year coaching, you know I'm fresh out of college, so I'm 22, fresh out of college, back in my old high school in New Orleans, and coaching, you know, the running backs. So I'm I'm sitting there like you know, first day of practice, we're doing like bag drills, which is easy. Just lay out some bags, you dummies, just run through it, right? So get to the part where we're throwing the football and I'm like, you know, getting upset, but I'm not screaming, I'm getting upset. It's like, why why you guys can't catch the damn ball? You know, like it's easy. Just open your hands up, catch it and then, you know, but I'm thinking like, damn. You know, I I for me as a player catching the ball was super easy cuz I used to play receiver. So it was like, you no, know, I'm expecting these dudes to be me yeah. and I'm not teaching them. I'm just telling them what to do. And so naturally I had to, you know, be humble and, and step back and like damn i don't know how to teach you know so <laughs> the practice you know after going home and, and really going through like how would i teach someone to do this without getting angry you know what i'm saying so i had to go back and like okay let let me start from scratch with you guys because i was expecting you guys to know stuff when i'm the coach i can't expect you to know stuff and uh, i think back to when i was in college man like the first you know in high school we ran maybe eight plays and it was basically dive, or uh, maybe a toss, and one special play we we threw in uh, for that, that particular week. Normally a pass play, and so you know it was simple. You know you knew where the holes were and stuff like that. So when I got to college and I thought I knew a little bit, and, and we were running zone. I'm like yo, so you telling me fifteen zone, but a don't but don't go to the five hole. Look for the you know maybe the two order. I was like yo, this doesn't make sense to me. And so, like, man, so I, the first couple of practices, I was struggling because I couldn't really understand why are you telling me aim for the five hole, but you may not hit the it's like. it just doesn't make sense. If you say fifteen, I'm going to the five hole. And so it wasn't until my D line coach pulled me to the side. I was like, hey, when they when they're telling you, because my running backs coach couldn't teach, you mm-hmm. know. So they pulled D line coach pulled me to the side. I was like, hey, when you when, when they're saying fifteen zone. And he was like, you know, they're they're blocking that area. And they so you may have a, a bubble where you can cut it back on the backside. I was like, oh, he says, so maybe if you take a couple of steps back, because I was in the mindset of like, I'm a Herschel Walker, I'm gonna just get to this line of scrimmage as fast as possible and run through to the other side and not run everybody. Right. And so he's like, just back up to about seven yards, take those steps that that Coach Miller is telling you, you know what I'm saying, and slow down a little bit and you'll start to see it open up. And from that's when I started to fly up the the doggone depth chart because I started ripping off long runs and during uh during two days and, and during those those scrimmages because I'm like oh now I get it but somebody had to sit there and teach it to me otherwise if you kept screaming at me and I'm not knowing what's going on then I won't get better so
0: right and, and co- coaching coaching is so different from so like uh, two years ago I coached for the first time I played O line D line so I ended up coaching O line D line at the high school that I went to. Um, but this past year I helped out with receivers and DBs and like Charles said, when he was talking, he was talking to his, his pass rushing coach. Um, like once, when I started like watching coach, coaching clinics and things like that on DBs, uh, and I started going to coaching clinics and just talking, talking to, uh, my head coach, uh, helped work out with the, the Seattle Seahawks for a while and their scouting staff. And he's like the head receiver DB guy, but I mean, you, you need multiple guys in those units, um, when I started to like take in all that information about receivers and defensive backs, that's when it really set into to me that I was like, all right, man, I really know nothing about this position compared, compared to what's out there.
2: And, you, and, you, and uh, the, I think what also what the listeners have to be aware of when, if, if you're going to go to a clinic and you see this lot, not only, but coaching Twitter as well. Um, and media as well. If If you're going to go to a clinic or, or read books or whatever you get your info, wherever you get your information from, soak it in and try to understand the why instead of just regurgitating what you hear. You know what I'm saying? Because you yeah. may regurgitate something and not know what the hell it means. You know, you may say, Oh, you need to snap it off at seven. And um, and you're looking like, Yo, what are you talking about? As do, a player may say, What are you talking about? Oh, well, uh, well snap it off at like, you, What does what snap off me and why? Am I snapping it off at seven? So, you, so not only just soak in that information, but really learn it and understand why somebody may say that. You may find a different term that you may say, you may not say snap it off. You may want to say cut it off or whatever. So if you understand the why they're telling you to do that, then you can understand, okay, that's why I'm, I'm stressing this part of the coaching that I'm doing to this or giving to this player.
1: Yeah. I think a lot of people on, you know, that, that do cover the draft and, you know, break down stuff like that. I feel like a lot of people don't understand the why behind what they're watching. And a lot of it's just, you know, I read this somewhere, and I see something similar in what I'm watching, so I'm just going to regurgitate that, but I don't really understand why this
2: is this way. Because a lot of times, you know, if we're just having a conversation like we are now, we don't tend to talk that way. I remember at the, one of the first years I was, I went to the Shrine game, and you know, um, during the practice, somebody was coming up, talking, he like, hey, he's like, Yeah, he's really not, you know, you want him to disengage. I'm like, Yo, he can't get off a block. It, to me, that's how I talk. Right. So I, I'm not going to sit there and say so and so disengage. Even, and I think that also helps you when you're doing broadcasting because you know you only have a finite time to get your point across. So you want to be simple, concise, where everybody can understand what you're saying.
1: All right. Uh, I think we answered that question pretty well. That was a lengthy, lengthy response, but that was a good, good discussion. So uh, let's move on to the next question from uh, Sue at Rude Sue on Twitter. Uh, this is for Emory again. What are uh, three HBCU guys to look out f- uh, for in the draft that may creep in the day two, or some names that you can see con- uh, contributing day one in the NFL if given the opportunity?
2: Oh, I always like those questions, and that's part of the. I guess that's part of the branding part because people yeah. just to- automatically. <laughs> I'm a small school HBCU guy, but I just kind of cover everybody. Um, so if they wanted to ask me about Big Ten guys, I could go in depthly about Big Ten guys. But um, there's one FCS quarterback that I really like, and that's Alex uh, Alec Torgerson of Penn. Um, and he's going to be down at the East West Shrine game. I'm glad to see that, you know, happen because he's a tremendous player. I, I mean, when you talk about a guy that has, it w- I hate to sound cliche, but when you have that arm that can, You could throw it all over the field. Like he really does shrink space It's almost like he's playing arena ball compared to other quarterbacks as far as like how quickly the ball gets out of his hands and how quickly it gets to the receiver, to the target. You know, you see a lot of guys, guys tonight throwing, trying to throw quick screens or or bubble screens to the receiver. And the ball takes forever in a day to get there. This guy, that ball is getting there quickly and the receivers have enough time to make something happen. So he's a quarterback you should watch for, but uh, HBCU, there's a ton of FCS guys. I don't want to get too long in it, but, um, but just from an HBCU perspective, uh, Lauren Blaine Winston of Grambling, he's 6'4, 295. And if you watch the Celebration Bowl, he was one that was constantly in the backfield against North Carolina Central. And when you talk about a big guy playing with great awareness, that's him because he was never fooled on the zone read or read option. He always found the ball. He was playing well with his hands. He's a he's a big guy that can move. So I think even at 295, you know, he can play outside as a defensive end if he wanted to, you know, in a 4-3 in because he's that type of an athlete. So he's one to watch. Tariq Cohen of North Carolina A&T is one to watch. People will say, oh, he's only 5 six and a half, but you can't hit what you can't catch. And he's a guy that has legit 4-3 speed and he's explosive.
1: I remember um, the, uh, so- that celebration vote from last year. He went off in that game.
2: And he did it every game this season, which is nuts because he is their their only option. They got a freshman receiver that's really good, but their quarterback play is questionable, to put it nicely. But they were basically Tariq Cohen in defense, and that's how they won games. And teams, he had, I want to say, maybe four 200-yard games. Um, Yeah, so he was outstanding. Uh, Hampton have a receiver in in Rashawn Proctor. There was a guy, Teron Mixon, for Hampton that was the big-name guy. But when I watched Hampton versus North Carolina A&T, I noticed Proctor was the one making all the plays. About five eleven, maybe two hundred pounds, or one ninety-five to two hundred. So he has good size, good route runner, great hands. And uh Javancy Jones is the outside linebacker, edge rusher from uh Jackson State, which is funny. Uh, quick small funny story is that we put out a preseason All American team, right? For FBS all the way down to NEIA, And we had this one school. I'm not gonna name the school, but we had this one school reach out to us via email and was like, "How can I take this list seriously when you put this guy who led the FCS in tackles uh, second team and this Javancy Jones guy um, first team?" I was like, "Well, number one, appreciate you showing the enthusiasm to respond, uh, to, you know, to this to this All American list from this website." You know, basically, I wanted to say like stop being an asshole so (laughs) so i was like listen here's why number one your player while he makes a lot of tackles a lot of them come eight to nine yards down the field number one and he has a bunch of assisted tackles so he's not making solo stops javancy jones on the other hand plays dn and also plays linebacker and had 25 and a half tfls in like 15 sacks um so you know and that's beating double teams things like that so from a explosiveness production per you know perspective jones was just a better player and i said we we don't have anything against your particular player but this guy would just play better flat out so yeah well i don't know i, I can't every other every other place has him as a first team all america i was like well tell every other place to tell you why they have him first team And i just told you why he's basically not that damn good you know what i'm saying yeah. so uh, you know and so we we have stuff like that so Javante Jones is one, um, and, and there's a bunch of others. But those are some guys I think that immediately jumped out to me over the year. All
0: right. Em, I need you to speak on something real fast, right? So you played running back in college. You played running back in high school. Um, a lot of people put value on tackles. And as, I don't know, like a, as someone who plays and watch, watches defensive line a lot, it's hard for me to believe that there's inherent value in tackles. Because for the most part, if you're running like a zone scheme or something like that, the, the, the run fit responsibility that you're running through as a running back is the path of least resistance, right? So, like, a tackle, a tackle is not only not a good thing. It means you're the worst fit out, out of that front seven or front six, whatever it is, right?
2: It, it means, like, you know what, I can make this guy miss, like you said, the path of least resistance. Or sometimes, you know, you, you don't want to run where someone has, ha- like you said, done their job. Um, So if I'm cutting it back against the grain and I I see someone has a vacated C gap to use coach speak, um, I can then get back there. But then you may have, let's say, a weak side linebacker that is running, chasing you back across the field. And and he's bringing you down seven yards um, down the field. He gets the tackle, but really he should have had that C gap. You know what I'm saying? So uh, that's where you get, you you tend to get lost looking at stats. And, And also I hate, as a former runner people say oh he has a lot of carries like yo listen the amount of are we counting carries from practice or are we counting carries just in the games or carries where you actually get hit like carries do not matter for a running back as far as quote-unquote tread on the tires like no it, it it the the hits that you see on tv the loud ones don't hurt you be those little small ones that you don't see or don't hear that hurt like hell you know what I'm saying? So people always say, "Well, this guy got a lot of carries. You know, he's gonna not be a good running back. He's a, he only have so much time left." Like man, you as a running back, you can carry the ball all, all on day. It's when you get hit, and if you take kids that don't know how to take a hit, that's when your carries will be limited. And he- See,
0: this ball. is why I There's love the difference
2: brain. between Marion, ball, you know, and a guy like Eddie George or you know whoever has like two thousand carries coming out of college. Um, uh, Barry Sanders. Amount of carries are going to be different than Marion Barber's amount of carries. You know, so it doesn't matter how many times you carry the ball. It matters with what, what matters is what you do with the carries.
1: Yeah, that, that was a great answer. I agree because I mean we've seen how many Frank Gore probably has a, a trillion carries in the NFL, and he's on the verge of uh, another thousand yard season in his mid thirties. So, I, I think it more matters like the type of hits you take. Like if I take a hit that blows out my ACL, my MCL, then, yeah, I, maybe, maybe, like, I, I think the, the amount of carries doesn't matter. It's, it was the type of carry that I, I, the amount, it was the type of hit that I got on that last carry,
2: you know? It, it makes, I remember I had a, my junior high coach hit me to the game. Um, I remember, um, you know, just enjoying running over people, right? Because I, I was a bigger kid. Um, I probably was maybe like 185 from the time I was a freshman, through uh my junior year right so um as a as an eighth grader i was probably about 175 so bigger than a lot of the junior high kids so when i catch a pass i'm running guys over you know i care less about outright, because you want to hear the ooze and eyes and stuff like that uh, and so i remember when i i went on one of my visits in college and the coach i put on a highlight tape and the coach was like the first highlight I had was me breaking through the line. It was against Eli Manning's squad, by the way. Uh, we played against Eli Manning every year, first year of the season. It was like a terrible private school. We used to blow them out because uh, we were public school, obviously. So it was the first play, and I broke through the line, and it was just me and the safety. And I straight trucked this dude to where he did a backflip, right? And so, <laughs> but I got tackled. And so I was sitting there smiling like, yeah, he go like this. He was like, hey, why you didn't why you didn't score? I was like, what you mean? I, I said, I, I Wanted to set the tone. I tried to find something. You know, seventeen year old me like, tone. Or here, he was like, "It was just you and the safety in the in the you know end zone was like fifteen yards away. Why didn't make a move and think like, man, damn, like he right? You know what I'm saying? But I wanted to get that that highlighted where he I read like, why don't you just focus on me running over the dude instead of me, you know, trying to make a move? But he was like, no. You have to understand you can't run over everybody. You can't, you know, constantly subject yourself to physical punishment unless you deem it necessary, where you're fighting between someone and the goal line. That right there was a 15 yards. It was 15 yards away from the end zone. Why are you running over this guy? Make him miss, stiff arm and, and get out the way. I was like, damn, like I learned something, you know, but that's why you can't take hits. When you see backs like Marion Barber, you're like, dude, that was a hit you didn't have to take. Even if it's a cornerback, you don't want those constant helmet-to-helmet hits because that wears you down. That's why you see quarterbacks that constantly run these dumb power plays like Deshaun Watson ran and Taj Boyd did in Clemson. Yeah, they're fine in the first and second quarter, but you wonder why your accuracy wanes in the third and fourth quarter because you're tired because you ran so often you took hits, you know, so that's the difference. And uh, for backs, don't take hit-on-hits unless you have to. You know, that's why a guy like Warwick Dunn was able to last for so long.
1: All right. Uh, so we got one more question from uh, Andrew uh, uh And he said, is the trade for Jared Goff going to be the worst NFL draft day trade ever?
2: Oh, my God. Like, um, <laughs> just have the, you have the trade that happened right behind him. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. you got <laughs> – I won't say the worst draft day trade because, I mean, we're going to see probably – the worst draft day trade come this year. So every year is going to be something that just like, you know, that was a dumb move. Um, but I'm always of the thought that you're no one player is that good. So I'm not going to give up the chance to get seven good players to get one. So for me, I would have never if if I would like Jared golf, he fell to pick 15. Then I take him. But I'm not going to trade up to get a Jared golf. When If I've done my scouting right, okay, Jared Goff's gone. Let me look at the next guy on my list. I like him just as much, and he's just as good. And I know we have a a valuable uh, team that we can put around player A, B, or C. I'm taking that. I'm going to take player B. I'm not going to gamble. You know, seven is better than one. I I just don't understand why teams do that a lot. Like, they tend to—and that leads into that whole myth of the franchise quarterback. Like, no, Tom Brady is good. As long as you continue to have Rob Gronkowski or every other piece that you put around him, you know, and stuff like that. You know, Tom Brady by himself won't be as successful if you put him on, let's say, Cleveland's team or team like, let's say, San Francisco, where you have us three out there at wideout, you know, so <laughs> you can't want a player to be that good, you know, and so I would have never traded up, especially that amount. Um, to get up and get a, a, a quarterback, I don't care if it was Jared Goff, Cordell Jones, or, or Carson Wentz. I'm not trading multiple value because I, I feel as though I can find seven starters, whether it's round from round one to round seven. I'll, I'll, I can find seven starters if my sole purpose and job was to go out there and find the best seven players in the country, you know, which is not hard to do with 850 football-playing colleges. It's not that hard. Yeah.
0: Well, the, Ram, the Rams were just a quarterback away, though that was uh, a belief.
2: <laughs> and they picked the raw one. One.
0: <laughs> yeah they,
1: they picked uh, Blaine blank 2.0 if like if, if that's what it looks like so far i mean he's he's been abysmal but even uh even like when the when you get the right player so back in 2011 when the falcons jumped up from the bottom of the first round to the top of the first round to, to grab julio jones like i i mean i, I love watching julio jones every week i, I think he's amazing but that that trade really deprived them of depth for like the next two seasons, because I think they were originally at pick 27 and to jump up from 27 to six, you have to give up an enormous amount of resources. And, you know, it's cool. Like you have a superstar receiver and you're scoring a lot of points, but you don't have anybody in your defense because you just gave all those picks away and you don't have any resources to rebuild that. So I I agree. I'm, I'm pretty much anti, uh, trade up unless it's just like maybe a couple slots, but that to get to trade away all those picks for a player who just looks I mean terrible. I mean it has to be it, it's gotta be up there for some of the worst draft day trades.
2: Well oh, absolutely I mean you look at that one and you look at Philly. And yeah. the only reason we're not talking about Philly's trade being the worst is because the Vikings bailed them out. Yeah. You know so if they didn't have a first round pick you know they the the reason Reasoning and excuses being thrown around Philly is, oh, uh, Carson Wentz doesn't have weapons. He doesn't have an offensive line. The Philly economy is bad. All that stuff like <laughs> that I like, talk about uh, instead of saying, like, Wentz not playing well. Well, he, you know, when they were 3-0, and the same weapon, same offensive line, he was in the Hall of Fame. You know, and so now, oh, they don't have weapons. That's why I didn't understand why the Vikings bailed them out by sending them a first-round pick because that's the value of your team. You know, if you drafted Carson Wentz in the second round and use that first round pick on something else, you know, then you can say, oh, we, we got a good team. Or if He was a part of the team. And, and when you try to make one guy, the entire team and football is not going to work. Basketball is different because you can really control your shot going in. That's, that's you know, you can literally go out there and hit 80 points and win 80, 79. You know what I'm saying? So, football, you can't. You need so – everybody is depending on the next person to do their job. And so, no one player is that good. I would never trade, especially first-round picks, you know, never trade all that capital to get a player. I don't care who it is.
1: Yeah, I I agree with you. Justin, you want to add anything before
0: we uh, end this off? No, I just don't. I I think between the Jared Goff and the Sam Bradford trades, I think – We should pretty much avoid the they're just a quarterback away talk, like in every in every essence like that never turns out good for anyone.
2: Nope. And uh, well, I mean, you could have. uh, You could have the quote, you could say because the Rams are technically a quarterback away, but you just can't get married to a bad one. And that's the that's the sad part. If Dak Prescott was playing for the Rams, they'd be in the playoffs. You know what I'm saying? If, uh, let's say, if a quarterback, who else? If Cody Kessler was playing for the Rams, they'd be better than what they are now. You know, it's about just getting the guy that can play. If Cordell Jones, if they drafted Cordell Jones in the third round, um, they'd be in much better shape. You know, and I think a lot of guys just, you know, that's a whole separate show on why they like certain quarterbacks based off how they look. Um, and force those guys to the top. We're going to see it. This year with Mitch Trubisky, if he comes out, uh, you know, you got to get guys that can play, who can handle the situation. And if you are scary uh, versus the Blitz, can't handle pressure, hadn't won a big game in college, you won't win any games in the NFL.
1: Yeah, I I completely agree with you. I I didn't get the golf hype and it it looks really bad right now. So uh, I think we're going to end that here. Uh, Thanks, Emory, for coming on. You have anything that you want to plug? like, uh, bowl season stuff?
2: Well, always check out our previews on, on the website, footballgameplan.com. Our subscribe to our YouTube channel where we're constantly updating stuff there uh, on the daily, uh, youtube.com slash footballgameplan. And if you haven't, be sure to check out and order your copy of our two latest book releases, <laughs> a football love story and what did football teach me? We also still are selling, uh, um, stiff arming football mitts you can find all three of those on our website at footballgameplan.com slash books and we got some cool books coming out too um, we're not going to release that because people steal so we, we got some cool stuff coming down <laughs> uh, uh, I would say this 2017
1: alright uh, Justin you got anything, that, uh, anything that, before we cap this off
0: uh, not really just grab, grab our stuff at Bleacher Report uh, follow the NFL 1000 crew uh chuck and i both do grades for i do grades for nfc defense events he does grades for every single defensive tackle in the league he does more work than i do
1: yeah <laughs> uh so for me justice our hustle friend emory this was uh the fourth episode of setting the edge and we will be back next thursday with a
2: brand new episode we'll have playoff takes so you guys that uh...